Good morning. My name is Shane Seegers, and as Scott's already said, I'm the multi-site uh, director here for Centerpoint. I'm so glad I can be with you this morning and continue this next installment in our series about It Is Finished, where we're going back and looking at the prophecies of the Old Testament to help us be ready to recognize and to believe in the one that had been promised from the very beginning. So that's where we're headed today. We're going to take a, an incredible look at Isaiah 53. And so let's pray and ask God that he would speak to us so that we might not miss what God has to say for us. Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity we have to just gather in your presence. God, to worship you in song, to, to call into remembrance who you are. And now, Lord, to, to listen to your word so that we might see you, so that we might hear you, so that you might meet us and change us to be all that you want us to be so we can experience life. God, I pray that you would speak and you'd move me out of the way so that we might hear exactly what you want said today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to also welcome all those who are watching at our sites and uh, Pike Road, Cloverdale, and Wetumpka, and all who are watching on the internet. Glad you're here along for the ride with us. So let's uh, look at what God has to say, for, uh, say to us today. We're going to look uh, at point one. We've got a, a lot to do. I really want to camp in at point three, so not that point one and two are precursors, but I, I want to go ahead and move on into our sermon today. And looking at point one, it just says that God spoke through prophets, so we'd be able to recognize and believe in the Messiah, Jesus. That we would be able to recognize and believe in Jesus, the Messiah. Now, there's a note. There are more than 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Jesus proving he's the Messiah. In fact, that number's a little bit low. There's really 330 prophecies that were given in the Old Testament so that when the one who was promised from the very beginning, and you might say, well, when's the first time he was promised? It was all the way back in the garden. And he was promised. There was things given all along the way telling us, this is the one who's going to come, and he's going to reverse the curse. And he's going to be able to establish a relationship with us so that we might have life again. Because remember, we were dead in our sins. And so this one had been prophesied. And it's incredible that God gave us over 300 prophecies. You might ask, well, well, why did he do that? Well, I want you to know it's not just to be like kind of a magic trick like Notre Dame or something, you know, where you see those specials on TV and you go, wow, that's amazing. I never knew somebody could have a vision of the Bay of Pigs invasion or something like that. You ever seen those episodes? They're like some obscure quote and all of a sudden they go, that's this event in history. Well, Jesus, God did more than just give us some quotes and some interesting facts. He did it so that we might not miss the one person who had been promised from the very beginning. Out of all the billions of people who've ever lived, there's one who it is too important for us not to understand who he is. And so God graciously gave us more than 300 prophecies so we won't miss them. Now, how many of you know the importance of having as much information as you can when you're going to meet someone? Anybody ever had to go meet someone at the airport or someplace and you had no idea who they were and you didn't have a little sign to be able to write their name to say, I'm coming? I, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of my son, Riley. Uh, just last week, I had arranged for him because he's a senior in high school and he's getting ready to go uh, off to college, and he's trying to think about what he wants to do. And so, like a good dad, I'm asking two questions. Well, do you enjoy it, what you're thinking about doing? And can you make a living doing it, you know? Can you get paid for it, basically? 
And so he's been talking about this uh, career in international studies and things. And so I don't know anything about international studies that much. And so uh, I do have a, we have a friend here at this church and his daughter is studying that. In fact, she's not only studying, she has internships. She's just doing all kinds of couple things. Well, she was back home last week from college. And so her dad say, hey, she would love to meet with Riley to kind of explain what's going on. Now, you can imagine Riley's chagrin when I told him, hey, I met this, I have a friend, and his daughter's going to meet you at Starbucks. And he's like, dad, what are you doing to me, you know, type of thing. I said, no, she's going to talk to you about what you're interested in studying. And I said, she's going to be at Starbucks at 4 o'clock. That's all the information I had. So you can imagine this 17-year-old boy, you know, getting in the car driving he's calling me well dad what's she gonna what's she look like i was like i don't know what's she wearing i don't know you know just all these things i mean he called me like three times trying to make sure that he wouldn't get in to the starbucks and make a fool of himself going up to all these different people are you so and so are you so and so well that's how we can be if we don't have enough information and you know what god knew this was too important for us to miss so he gave us all the details that we could that he could to help us do it. So I, what I want to do is to, is to let you see there are over 300 messianic prophecies that are recorded in Scripture for us. Now, that's a lot of number. I mean, that's a large number. And so let's help us to get our hands wrapped around it. The fact that one person could fulfill those prophecies. What do you think the likelihood of one person being able to fulfill all those prophecies are? I mean, it's mind-boggling. In fact, when I was a freshman in college, somebody, when I first started to really say, God, I want to follow you, Jesus. One of the first books that somebody ever gave me was a book called More Than Carpenter by Josh McDowell. If you've never read this book, I mean, it's a great read. I would encourage you to read it. It answers all kinds of questions about who Jesus is was, well, one of the sections they talk about is biblical prophecy because of this very reason, that God was so specific of giving us all of these pieces of information so we wouldn't miss the one who had been promised. And let's say, you know, there's over 300, 330, but this guy, Dr. Stoner, who did this study in, in in the probability of somebody being able to fulfill all of these prophecies, he said, if you were only talking about 48 just 48, that's less than one-sixth of the prophecies, that the likelihood of one person being able to fill, fulfill all of those would be one to the tenth with 157 zeros. Now, I don't know what that is. That's a big number, isn't it? 157 zeros after that. But I want you to see that God said, I'm going to make it even more specific to help you to understand that. Because the reality is, if we go down and let's say, let's just focus on eight prophecies. He said the likelihood of one person being able to fill just eight is one times ten to the seventeenth. Now, again, that's a big number. So let me put it into context so you can get your mind wrapped around this. He said, imagine taking someone and putting them in the state of Texas. Big state, right? And he said, take the state of Texas, and fill it two feet deep with silver dollars. The whole state, from all the way up north, all the way south, east and west, two feet deep, the whole state of Texas, and fill it two feet deep with uh, silver dollars, and take one of those silver dollars and mark it with an X. 
And you can put it in there, stir up all the silver dollars, doesn't matter where it is, just stir it up. And then take an individual, put a blindfold on them, and you can parachute them down or you can just say, start walking, whatever you do, but just have this person walk as far as they want. And then all of a sudden, when they feel like they've come to a place, they can stop and they can bend down and pick up one silver dollar. And the chance that they have the one silver dollar that has one X on it is one times 10 to the 17th. How many of you think that's amazing? That blew my mind. And today we're going to look at one section of Scripture that has more than eight prophecies in it. And yet Jesus fulfilled all of them. Well, let's look at this verse from Acts 17, 2, and 3, 2 through 3 to see this is exactly what we're supposed to do with prophecy. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. And for three Sabbaths in a row, he used Scriptures to reason with people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. That's what he did. He took all of these prophecies, these hundreds of prophecies, and every week he would meet with them and say, see this, see this, see this, see this. That's Jesus. That's the one I'm telling you. That's what God did for us. He gave us all of these characteristics, all of these facts, all of these bits of more information so that we might know who this Messiah is. And so here's a life application for us. The Bible is our only guide, not only in faith and practice, but it's even more specific. The Bible is our only guide in having a right relationship with God. And the reason why this is important, because in order to have a right relationship with God, it's not about following a list of rules, is it? It's about believing and receiving the one that was promised. The Messiah. That's why it's so important that we don't make a mistake on who this promised one is. Because all of our relationship, all of our salvation depends upon us believing in the one that God has sent. 2 Timothy 3.15 says this, You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom. They've given you the information. They've given us the characteristics, the prophecy, so that when the one came, he gave us the wisdom that we might be able to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And this was something that Jesus understood. At one time, he was, after he had finished feeding the 500, the people came to him and said, we want to do these works too. We want to do the works that God requires of us. And you know what Jesus said? He said this, In in John chapter 6, verses 27 through 29, he said, The works that God requires of you for eternal life are that you believe in the one he has sent. That you believe in the one he has sent. That's what Jesus said. And so this is why this prophecy is so important. He gave us over 300 markers so that we might say, It's not that guy. It's not that guy. It's not that person. It's not that lady. It's him. And it's no accident because one person couldn't just fulfill all of these unless it was something that God did. So let's go on. Let's talk a little bit more about this prophecy from Isaiah 53. You know, last week John looked at uh, Psalm 22, a psalm that was written a thousand years before the crucifixion of Christ. And it was amazing to see the detail of how this mode of death was described that had not even been, been invented at that time. They clearly described what it looked like. Well, even more is given 700 years before. Isaiah the prophet describes perfectly Jesus' death with amazing details 700 years in advance. So I'm going to do just like John did last week. I'm going to walk through. I'm going to look at this this, uh, 
passage in Isaiah 53, and I'm going to go back and forth with how it was fulfilled in Jesus' life. And honestly, as you read through this, you're gonna, it's going to leap to you. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that. So follow along with me as we read this. In Isaiah 53, 3, it says, He was despised and rejected. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Well, that prophecy was fulfilled in John 1, 11. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. Isaiah 53, 7 through 8 says that he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. away. And then we see in Mark 15, at the trial, this is what happened. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. He said nothing. Pilate asked him, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. And Pilate said, Why? He demanded, What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him. See, he offered no defense, and he was led, and he was led away to be condemned unjustly. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And of course, that immediately brings images to mind for you if you've ever seen the movie The Passion. But Mark 15, 15 tells us this, that Pilate ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Isaiah 53, 12 says that he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. The criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. I mean, I can, we can keep going on. Just let me make one note because a lot of people think, well, Jesus, he just tried to manipulate the situation. He knew about the, you know, the prophecies and he tried to fulfill them on his own. But I want you to know that's not the case. There were things that were prophesied that Jesus could have no control over. Where he was born. The fact that he was born of a virgin birth. And there were things that he could not control after he was nailed to the cross. Of who he would be nailed with. Or crucified with. So I, I want us to begin all these questions that we begin to have. And these doubts about how could he fulfill these prophecies. I want you to know. There's only one way. And it had to be God's plan. Let's keep reading on. Another one is that he bore the sins of many and he interceded for rebels. Isaiah 53, 12 said, when Jesus was on the cross and being crucified, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And remember last week, John so clearly described what was going on as they were mocking him going, ah, Jesus come down from the cross. You remember that? And John said, if I was right there, I'd have been calling down Gabriel and Michael. Take that dude out and take those guys out. And all the angels were at his things. And yet what Jesus did is that he bore their sins and he interceded for the rebels saying, Lord, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And you know what? Can I just can I just tell you, he does not change. The same Savior who hung on a cross and interceded for people who are nailing him to a cross still lives to make intercession for you. Even when we sin, when we go astray, 
Just write these verses down to the side. You can go look at them later. Hebrews 7.25 says that he lives to make intercession for us. You might ask, well, what is Jesus doing up in heaven while he's waiting to come again? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. And in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, it says, if we ever sin, we have an advocate in, the, in, in heaven advocating on our behalf, talking to the Father for us. And you know what I think he's saying? Don't hold that sin against him. I've already paid for it. Is that not amazing? The same Son of God who is willing to forgive while he's being nailed to a cross still is willing to forgive even when we sometimes don't respond like we should to him. Another point here is that he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave in Isaiah 53, 9. And that prophecy was fulfilled and it's written about in Matthew 27, 57 through 60. It says, as evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who'd become a follower of Jesus, he went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen And he placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. And is it not amazing down to those details? 700 years before this event happened, that we would be able to recognize the one that he promised and be able to see all these things so we would not miss him. And here's a life application for us. And I put it in the personal here. Because it's not just about us. It has to be about you individually. I can trust God to work out his plan for my life. You know why? Because if he could work out the plan for his son. And you might say, well, he's the son of God. Of course it's going to happen that way. He's perfectly obedient. But you know what? God's plan was not just based upon the results of his son. It was also getting the actions of sinful people who were not even seeking God, going their own way. He used all of their actions to still bring about these circumstances to see his plan fulfilled for his son that would benefit you and that would benefit me. Can you agree with me? Can you stop? And can you say, if God can do that, And if God can make all of these things happen when it seems so impossible, what is too hard for God to make his plan come about for you? Do you believe that? I meet with people all the time who are so afraid that something's not going to happen in their life and that they're going to miss out on what God has for them. Now, there are times when I say, yes, you need to respond to what God is saying. But if your doubt is that God can accomplish what he wants to do, you need to stop. Listen to this verse. In Ephesians 1.11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for He chose us in advance and He makes everything work out according to His plan. He makes what? Some things? Everything work out according to His plan. Does that everything include your life? Does that everything include His plan for your life as well? He can do it. Now let's look at this third point. Isaiah also perfectly described why Jesus suffered and died on the cross. And in fact, that's the distinction I want to make between the sermon that John gave last week about describing the crucifixion and the sermon that I'm giving this week. Because what was prophesied was not just what happened, but also why it had to happen. Because this is real important. How many of you remember the Da Vinci Code? You remember that book? 
And it all came about because there's a group of people who say, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. He never claimed to be God. And so that's what this was all about. He was just a man. And, and so that the church read back into what Jesus said to determine that he, was the son of, that he said he was the Son of God. And that's not the case. But it's also not the case for the crucifixion because there's some people who say, Jesus, when he went to the cross and died for the sins of the world, he wasn't really dying as a substitute, a substitute for you and me. He wasn't really dying to pay a sin debt that you owe. He was really just dying to show you what an example looks like of someone who loves God and is willing to be obedient and willing to lay down his life for others, to put his enemies first. And while I say, yes, there is great example and a great thing to be learned from what Jesus did, let's not miss the fact that it was not just as an example. There was a payment that was being paid. There was a transaction. There was something being accomplished, and that's what we're going to see. So let's look at this. Again, turning to Isaiah 53. So that we don't miss that Jesus suffered and died on the cross for our sins. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was struck down for the great rebellion of my people. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, can you see there was something that needed to be accomplished by this? Not an example. There was something being done, a purpose being fulfilled by his anguish. He will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all of their sins. Can we see that the, when this prophecy was given, it was explicitly to show us who was going to die and how he was going to die, but also why he was going to die. And it's clear he was to die for the sins of the world. He was to die so that you and I might be counted righteous. He was to die so that you and I, who were dead in our sins, might be made alive. And that's the note I want you to see. That salvation is much more than forgiveness of sins. It includes being made righteous and alive through Christ. And this is so important for us to understand. Because when I became a Christian, I was a lot like you. I knew that I was a sinner. I asked Jesus into my heart because I wanted to be forgiven. I wanted to spend eternity in heaven. And someone told me how to receive Christ. And I asked Christ to come in my heart. And then I was like, well, what's next? And it was basically, well, don't do these bad things. Don't sin. And I'm not saying that we should sin. But basically what I was given was a list of rules. Now, how many of you have ever tried to follow Jesus by living by a list of rules? Don't go to these movies. Don't talk to these people. Don't go there. Don't drink this. Don't eat that. Don't do this. Well, you know what? All it does is continue to focus on ourselves. And then we begin to think salvation is dependent upon who? Jesus or us. We begin to think it's based upon us. And we begin to have questions. And this is why I want us to see that salvation is so much more than forgiveness. In fact, forgiveness is a prerequisite for salvation. We had sins. They needed to be dealt with. But that's what he did. He died and cleansed us of our sins. So that he could do two other things. That he could give us his righteousness. And then give us his life. To change us from inside. So that we no longer have to follow a list of rules. Or we no longer have to follow an outside uh, entity 
but that we follow a living, risen Savior who lives within us. So let's look at this. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. Remember, they thought he was being punished for his own sins, but he never sinned. He died for sinners. He died for you and me to bring us safely home to God. He died so that our relationship with God could be restored. And so let's just think about that debt. The reason why that Jesus could die and pay the penalty for sin is because he did not have his own debt to pay. What, is the, what are the wages of sin? What is the debt of sin? Death. You and I have our own debt to pay. We have our own death payment we have to pay. And if we were going to pay for our own sins, we'd have to pay with our own life. But the reason why Jesus could pay for our sins and no one else is because he had no sin. So someone... Jesus paid the penalty for us so that our penalty could be paid. Isn't that good news? Let's go on. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. When you have a relationship with Christ, God is no longer counting your sins against you. He said it's forgiven. It is finished. It is paid in full. Jesus died for sins once for all time. He's no longer counting those against us. They've been satisfied. And not only did he forgive us, listen, look at what else he did. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this might blow your mind, but I want to help you to understand what this means. That means you and I were unrighteous, and all of our righteous activities were like filthy rags in God's eyes. There was nothing we could do to earn our place into heaven. And so God not only forgave us our sins, but he also exchanged something. He put our sins on Christ, and he took Christ's righteousness, and he placed it upon you. So I want to see if you understand this. Whatever site you're in, look at your site pastor here. We're at Prattville. Scott's in the back. He's our site pastor. How many of you, raise your hand if you think you're as righteous as Scott Shumpert. Okay, there's hands up. All right, let's, let's go up a little bit. How many of you think you're as righteous as Billy Graham? Raise your hands. Okay, fewer. All right, how many of you think you are as righteous as the Apostle Paul? Anybody? Ah, I see one. Let me ask you, how many of you think you're as righteous as Jesus Christ? Any hands? Let's read that verse again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Every single one of you, if you have a relationship with Christ, when God looks at you, he sees you are as righteous as his son. It's not based on your activities. It's not based on your actions. It's based on what he's done for you. And so if this is your life and this is Christ and all of his righteousness and everything that he has, God places you in him. And when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And it can never be taken away from you. Is that not good news? So people ask me, well, can I lose my salvation? I want you to know, you can lose your salvation if Christ can ever become unrighteous. Can God ever become unrighteous? Well, then you do the math. Here's the third one. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. What was the big penalty of sin? It was what? So let me ask you, was your greatest need to be forgiven or to be made alive? 
is to be made alive. Forgiveness was a prerequisite. But when he gave you his righteousness, he also gave you his life to transform you from the inside out. This is why I'm confident when people say, well, if you talk about sins not being counted against you, people will go and do whatever they want. Well, then you misunderstand the gospel. Because God doesn't just give you a standing. He also gives you his life. A new way of being directed and guided from the inside. And when Christ begins to not lead your life, then you might have to worry. But he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he will guide us into all the paths of righteousness. Is that not good news? He came to give you life so that you can have a relationship with him. And so here's the life application. We must embrace the completeness of our salvation in Christ. It's not just you're forgiven and now you're worried about managing your sins. If you're always worried about not sinning and managing your sins, what do you think you're going to end up doing more of? Sinning. That's what Romans 7 says. But if we focus on Christ and listening to him and his righteousness, he will guide us into the salvation he has for us. That's why we always talk about surrender, listen, pray, obey. Because it's not about a list of things you have to do. It's about focusing on him and his life within us. And listening to what he's telling us. And saying, God, I want that to be my life and following in it. And so, here's what it says in Colossians 2.10. So you also are what? Complete through your union with Christ. If you think there's something the more that has to be done in your life so that you can be saved or that you can have security or whatever, that's not what it says. You are what? Complete, perfect, lacking nothing. You know why? Because you're united with Christ. Salvation is not based upon what you do, but it's based upon what He does for you. And when you're connected to Him, all of it comes yours. Hebrews 10, 17 and 18 says, Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. How many of you, all you do when you think about God is remembering your sins and all your lawless deeds thinking God can never forgive me? Can I just tell you, you're the only person doing that in the relationship between you and God? He's releasing all of that. He says it's paid in full. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. In the Old Testament, year after year, they would make sacrifices and they would just cover the sins for that one day for the whole year. But after that day of atonement, what happened? The sins would start piling up again and again. You know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Is Jesus was not the Lamb of God who came to cover sins. Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And in Romans 5.10... He says this, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly, not hopefully, not maybe, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. Romans 5.10 Do you know why? Because He will complete what He has started. And He lives within us. And it's no longer just trying to have a relationship with God based upon sin management. It's about having a relationship based in righteousness and saying, God, you've done, you've taken care of sins. Now I can be set apart to live for you. And his life that lives within us will guide us, will speak to us, will show us the way. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Is that good news? Now, for some of you, we're going to end. Nick's going to come up and we're going to sing a song here, give people a time to respond. Two responses. Some of you, 
This might be the first time you've ever understood what Jesus really came to do. He came to die to pay the penalty of sin. So